Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, that's the key right there, doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be like unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know, this is, a, of course, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Probably when you're growing up, if you, if you grew up in church, you probably heard or sang the song about the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. But you ever really think about what he's saying here? It's the wise man is one who hears, not only hears, but he does. He does. And, of course, the foolish man hears. He hears the same things, but he doesn't. So the title of the message tonight is Founded on the Rock of Righteousness. Founded on the Rock of Righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to be assembled together tonight, and I pray that you'd help us as we look into your word. pray that you'd give us wisdom in this area of our home, and not in our home, but in any relationship. These principles are true. So, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in every age group and help us to glorify you and not help us not to be just hearers only, but doers also, lest we deceive our own selves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I think about founded on the rock of righteousness, um, and I'm going to speak tonight about, you know, relationships. And, of course, a home involves relationships. Husband, wife, parents, children, children to children. And these principles, although there will be some of the more applicable to certain people in those groups of that those relationships, but these principles basically are applicable to every relationship, whether it's a husband, wife, a parent's children, or siblings, or friends. You know, a strong relationship must be built on righteousness. The word righteousness in the Bible, Strong's outline of biblical usage, the definition is there in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable by God. So, you know, we are, of course, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, he makes us, he gives us unto us the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to our account, placed on our account. And so we, that makes us acceptable to God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Romans 8 that we're quoting talks about how by the righteousness of Christ, we fulfill the law in him. We meet the righteous demands of the law. So, so it's a condition that makes us acceptable to God. But as we think about in relationships, it is foundational to all relationships. Again, he that heareth and doeth. Uh, it speaks of rightness or correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. And so again, 
Strong relationships are built on righteousness. And the Bible tells us this over and over again. For example, Proverbs 12, 7. The wicked are overthrown and are not. But the house of the righteous shall stand. What makes a difference? Righteousness. Proverbs 15, 6. In the house of righteousness is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Proverbs 16, verse 12. It is abominations to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. By righteousness. A throne is established by righteousness. Psalm 72, verse 3. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills. How? By righteousness. So, strong relationships are built not by feelings. There may be feelings involved, but they're not built by feelings. They're built by righteousness. So if we want to be, if we want to have strong relationships, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's uh, parent-child relationship or sibling relationships or friend relationships, we have to build that relationship upon the foundation of righteousness. I'm going to give you several areas tonight that we need to be righteous in to have that strong relationship. Number one, we need to be righteous in our words. Our words. Words can be very powerful. They can be a great power for good or they can be a great power for destruction. Ephesians Chapter 4, and, and I know these are familiar verses, but Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32, speaks a lot about our words, where it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, where edify means to build up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor is, Loud, really, it's loud complaining. Talk about the you know, Proverbs talks about the uh, the uh, contentious wife who, who who who's clamorous and she's loud and you know that's loud clamor. It's that's loud complaining and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians four six says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. James 3, the whole chapter is about the tongue. It can bring forth blessing, and out of the same mouth can bring forth cursing. 1 Timothy 4.12 tells us to be an example of the believer, and the first thing he tells us to be an example in is word. Words are words, the things we say. Your Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32 says, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. And that word frowardness has the idea of, of willfully stubborn and rebellious. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. You know, it is never right to have a foul mouth. Never. To be sarcastic. Be one of nagging or critical. Of a critical spirit. You know, or you know, some, some people pride themselves in perverse humor, you know, bantering each other's each other with 
put downs and slams. I've seen this in marriages. Remember a, a couple that I knew that was in our church. Well, she was, he wasn't. And that's how they talked to each other. Put downs and slams. Didn't have a good relationship at all. You know, and, and it was kind of all done in a kind of a appearance of joking. And it may seem funny at first, but after a while, those things start to hurt and pierce. You heard a guy say one time, lots of truths are said in a joke. And we have to be careful about that, especially of husbands and wives. Um, Ephesians 5, 4 talks about foolish jesting. It's not becoming of a child of God. Foolish jesting. I'm not saying you can't ever pick on your wife or pick on your husband, but you need to be careful about bantering them with, with, with perverse humor um, or your friends. They'll get tired of it after a while. You know, it's always right to compliment or say, I love you. Now, you may not want to say that to, to certain friends or relationships, you know. But, uh, but, or it's, but it's always right to say, I'm sorry if you're wrong. By the way, men, that doesn't take away your man card. That'll increase the respect of your wife and your children if you can say, I'm sorry. You know, the tongue, again, is a very powerful tool that can be most destructive. F.E. Marsh, in his commentary, said this, the, quote, the heathen philosopher Xanthus, expecting some friends to dine with him, ordered his servant Aesop to provide the best things the market could supply. Tongues only were provided, served up with different sauces. Course after course was supplied, each consisting of tongue. Did I not order you to buy the best the market afforded, cried Xanthus? And did I not obey you, replied Aesop. Is there anything better than the organ of truth and the instrument of praise and worship? On the next day, Xanthus ordered him to provide the worst thing in the market, and lo, there was another dinner of tongues. For Aesop said, surely the tongue is the worst thing in the world, the instrument of strife and the organ of lies and debauchery. Or blasphemy, I'm sorry. See, the tongue is a very powerful tool. The boneless tongue, so small and weak, can crush and kill, declared the Greek. The tongue destroys a greater horde, the Turk asserts, than does the sword. The Persian proverb wisely saith, a lengthy tongue and early death. The tongue can speak a word whose speed, say the Chinese, outstrips the steed. Where Arab sages this impart, the tongue's greatest storehouse is the heart. From Hebrew wit the maxim sprung, though feet should slip, ne'er let the tongue. The sacred writer crowns the whole, who keeps the tongue, doth keep his soul. So we need to be righteous in our words. Righteous in our words. Secondly, we need to be righteous in our attitude. In our attitude. Um, you know, so think about attitude. You know, submission is primarily an attitude of your action. You know, the Bible tells children to, to uh, obey their parents. You can be obeying on the outside and disobeying on the inside. The Bible tells wives to submit to their husbands. You can be submitting on the outside, but not submitting on the inside. See, it's an attitude. Submission is an attitude. Um, 
if it's not submission, it's rebellion. You're the man. As we think about submission and, and an atti a right attitude, the man is to be in submission to Christ, the husband. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So the man is to be in submission to, the, to, uh, to, to Christ. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. You know, the word head here means Master Lord. It has to be a lordship. As we think of husband-wife relationship, it's to be a lordship of love. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. There's a lot of even as there. The wife is to submit to their husband as, as the church to Christ. The husband is to love his, love his wife as Christ loved the church. Somebody has said that the husband is to lead lovingly in such a way that she does not feel like a servant or under a dictator. So, submission, again, it's an attitude. It's an attitude. It's more than just an outward act. Uh, and ladies, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, again, it says that the, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, uh, Ephesians 5, 22. Let's go to Ephesians 5, 20, 22 uh, through 24. Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So as we think about our attitudes of submission, we husbands... The men, we men are to have a, a be in submission unto Christ. And the wife is to be in submission to the husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord, the Bible says. So, again, this is more than just an act. It's an attitude. You know, Ephesians 5.33 says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So submission with the right attitude is an, at, an attitude of reverence. To reverence means to venerate, to treat with deference, or reverential obedience. The word deference there means respectful submission, or yielding to the judgment, opinion, will, etc., of another. Now, these are not suggestions based on how we're treated. You say, well, my wife doesn't submit to me. Well, the Bible doesn't say, if your wife submits to you, you're to love her. No, it just says, by the way, do we always submit to Christ? But does he still love us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've always seen in what counseling, marriage counseling experience I've had is often, you know, they'll come to you and say, 
Well, she does this, and she does this, and she does this. And then she'll come to you and say, and he does this, and he does this, and he does this. What's the problem with that picture? The problem is they're always looking at the other person as to what determines how they act. And we don't do that. We're not to be... We're not to be driven by how other people treat us, no matter who it is. No, we're to be driven by what's right. It was, I think it was uh, Francis Havergal that made this statement that was really convicting to me when I first read it. He that angers you controls you. So... If we are acting in response to what somebody else does, we're letting that person control us. No, we are to do what's right. Again, a, a, a strong relationship is built on righteousness or doing what is right. And God commands husbands to love their wives, no matter what. So... You know, again, it's not a, a suggestion. It's a command. Even as Christ loved the church, even when it disobeys him, he loves us. And wives are to reverence or submit with a right attitude. That's what reverence really is. With a right attitude to their husbands, even when they don't understand. You know, one of the things I've, I've come to understand, and I don't completely understand it. There's a lot of things I don't understand. It's the things that I do understand that bother me. But one of the things that I've come to understand that is, you know, like uh, a pastor, just by virtue of his place in the sight of God, is given wisdom that he doesn't give to others. By virtue of his position. If he's a God called. Church ordained pastor. Just by. By the virtue that God put him in that place. And God. And again it's all of the Lord. God gives him wisdom. The same is true of a husband. Just by virtue of his position. God gives to him things. That he does not give to the wife. In leading his home. By virtue of. That's the place God gives. He may not be smarter than her. I got, don't tell my kids this, but I got kids that are smarter than me. <laughs> Figured I'd get something like that. But. You know, I, I've got kids that are smarter than me. I want them that way. But I also want to have, you know, knowledge can get you in trouble if it isn't reined in by the wisdom of God. But they don't have the experience of wisdom that I have. Nor do they, do they have the wisdom that God, by virtue of my position, I'm not promoting my position because you know, there are a lot of things I don't understand, but just by virtue of my position as a pastor, God gives to me things because that's what I'm supposed to do. And the same is true of a husband. And, there's, and, and, and let me say this. Wives, there's nothing that will encourage your husband more than you have 
reverence to him. Nothing that will encourage him to love you more than you reverence him and honor him. And give him the proper respect. Even when you don't understand how it worked out. You know, one of the things, the difference between men and women, at least generally speaking, is men think logically. They think things through. Women tend to think from their emotions. Men tend to think things through. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's never wrong to say, honey, um, do you think this is the right course to take? You know, sometimes talking it over with your wife helps you see things that maybe you hadn't thought of. But, but, be, but you need to do it with the right attitude. By the way, we husbands need to talk to our wives with the right attitude too. Speak the truth in love. In love. These, again, these principles are right no matter what relationship it is. You know, those thinking about getting married. Or even friends and so on. Um, go to First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Peter uses the example of Sarah. And this is a, this is a classic example of... As you think of the life of Sarah, um, in First Peter 3, verse 5, it says, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also trusted in God, adorned themselves. Now here was their ador- here's the adornment that he's talking about, this meek and quiet spirit. Being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I'm not saying you have to call him Lord, but yeah, you are to reverence him. Uh, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, could you imagine, you know, my wife might believe me if I said this. We have moved eight times. We're moving. Where are we going? I don't know. God will show us when we get there. Really? Yeah. That's what Abraham did. He went out not knowing whither he went. The Bible just says that he went to place, and they said the he said you go to I will tell thee of. And Sarah went with him, not knowing whither he went. But keep in mind that Abraham was submitted to God. Submitted to God. You know, it's not hard. It's not as difficult. I shouldn't say not hard. Not as difficult to submit to a man that you know is submitted to God. But she went out. They went out. And she was not afraid. She didn't think he was a crazy old kook. So, husbands or men are to be in subjection or submissive to, to, to the Lord, and wives are being in submission to their husbands or 
your father if you're not married. Um, and husbands are to love the wife. No, even as Christ also loved the church. So again, attitude. Thirdly, we need to be righteous in our conduct. So we need to be righteous in our word, righteous in our attitude. We need to be righteous in our conduct. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should, in, ye should inherit a blessing. So, you know, we need to be righteous in our words. We need to be righteous in our attitudes, whether it's, you know, having a righteous uh, spirit and attitude in submitting to our parents, uh, wife to husband, husband to Christ, and loving, loving her as Christ loved the church. You know, a lot of that has to do with attitude. But we need to also be righteous in our conduct or our actions. In this passage, I believe it's, Talking, being considerate of one another's needs. Now, this is particularly verse seven is addressed to husbands here, because um, we need that instruction. You know, we husbands, we men aren't always the most considerate people on the planet. You don't have to say amen, ladies, but but we're not always the most considerate people. Um. You know, that being considerate requires attention, time, establishing, and maintaining a relationship requires tension and a time. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Makes, keep your place in here, Peter. We're going to go back there. But Titus 2, 3 um, says this. The aged women likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. Uh, so so the, the, the focus here is not on me, but on the other in the relationship. It's not, again, not on what they are doing, but what am I doing right in this relationship? You know, it is hard. It's hard to be mean to somebody that shows you love. It's hard to, to, to treat them evil. It's, it's hard to treat somebody evil that shows you respect and honor. And we are to, you know, to show compassion and love and be courteous, give blessing for evil, and he says, ye will receive a blessing. Verse 8 again says, finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one another, 
love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rending evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye there are, are there to, unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Now, and we have in this in this passage, really, it starts over in chapter 2, because if you notice, verse 1 says likewise, verse 7 says likewise. So it's taking us back to chapter 2 and the example of Christ, where it says in verse uh, 23, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So, you know, it tells us here that despite what was done to him, Christ did what was right. He was reviled, he didn't revile. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten. You know, I had a guy that I used to help some in Maine and took one of my boys down there one day and he was uh, he was going on about something and he said, you need to teach your, your boys that, that it's, it's uh, uh, you know, when people treat you uh, nasty, you need to treat them right back. not how you win friends and influence people not but hate not evil for evil or railing for railing oh, what Paul write in, in, in Romans he said if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him drink for in so doing you shall heap coals of fire in his head be not overcome of evil but be overcome evil with good You see, we are to do right regardless of whether we feel like. That's what real love is. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And notice verse 10 particularly. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, what is the law? It's a standard for righteousness. That's what the law is. The law simply says, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not steal. You know, you have no other gods before me. You know, it's all these thou shalt nots. There's nothing very romantic about the law, believe me. And Paul's writing to those 
the church there at Rome, and he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's doing right to your neighbor. It's doing right. And if we want to have strong relationships, we have to do what's right. You know, strong homes are not built on romance. In fact, I would encourage you to go home and look up in the dictionary the, the meaning of the word romance. It's not very good. It's really bad. If you compare it with the Bible, it's evil. No, strong relationships, strong marriages... Friendships are built on righteousness. And by the way, if you build your marriage, the foundation of your marriage on righteousness, you know what's going to follow? Feelings. What we call romance. You know, the feelings come later. Think about it. Think about Ruth. You know, we call Ruth, the book of Ruth, you know, it's been called the romance of redemption. But what was life really like for Ruth? It was not fun. It was not easy. She followed her mother-in-law with no hopes of ever having a marriage again, a husband. She had no hopes of that. And Naomi told her as much. But she did what was right. She did what was right. It was not convenient. It was not an emotional choice. Orpha made that choice. Followed her emotions. Her life was focused on doing what is right. And her righteousness brought her peace and security in a man by the name of Proverbs 10, verse 28 says, the hope of the righteous. Again, the word hope means the expectation. So the expectation of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. How many people tonight, how many couples, they build a marriage on just romance. It's just love at first sight. He's that handsome prince, you know, and, and she's that, that babe, you know, and, and, and they get married and couple years down the road, he's not so handsome. And she's not so beautiful. You certainly know, never heard the story about the guy who married this woman because he thought she was beautiful when she sings. And so they get married because she's so beautiful when she sings. So they get married. And the next morning at breakfast, he looks across the table and he says, Sing, honey, sing. Proverbs 10.30 says the righteous shall never be removed but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Psalm 85.10 says this Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed 
each other. Now, what does it mean righteousness and peace, they're two different things, have kissed each other? You know, those two things bring unity. Righteousness brings unity. Where there is righteousness, there is peace. And if there's peace, it's because there is righteousness there. In other words, just simply doing what's right. Isaiah 32, 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You know, again, Ruth and Boaz were two people. You know, Boaz was a man that wasn't married, but he was past marital age. But evidently he was seeking the Lord for the right kind of woman. Remember, he was he was living in a day of great apostasy. And so he was willing to wait. Just do what's right and wait on the Lord to bring the right woman. And Ruth was willing to trust God and let him bring the right man. See, she wasn't seeking it. That wasn't her focus, the husband. Her focus was, I'll do what's right and let the Lord take care of everything else. You know, I, there was a guy told me that he was visiting around other churches because he was looking for a wife. Is that how you go about it? I mean, you know, not enough girls in here, so you start visiting other churches. Is that the right way to go about it? No, the right thing is to do what's right inside of God and let God take care of those things. Let God take care of those things. So if we want to have strong relationships, whether it's a home, a husband-wife relationship, whether it's parent-child relationship, whether it's friend relationship, whatever relationship it is, it must be built on righteousness. You ever wonder why in the world relationships are so fragile? It's because there's so much corruption with the people involved. And those relationships are easily shattered. Why? Because they do not do what is right. If we want our relationships, our marriages, our homes to be lasting and to be strong, we have to build it upon the rock of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Might God help us to do that. Just to seek to do what is right and let him take care of the rest. Are you building your life on the principles of God's word, doing what is right? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, kingdom God and his righteousness, and all these things. Everything else that pertains to life, if we will seek God first, God will take care of.
for us. Just like a father is responsible to take care of his children. Because he is. If we know him, he is our father. So might God help us to seek to do his will.